3: Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. It's a radio show dedicated to taking phone calls and answering your Bible questions and life questions. Uh, if you've got questions about doctrine, just pretty much whatever's on your heart, I'll do the best I can to answer. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585 that's 3409585 if you're outside the local san antonio area you can call toll free at 877 630 KSLR numerically it's 6305757 you can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can send them in using our free calvary chapel of san antonio mobile app if you're driving in your car use the free kslr mobile app can use the hands-free feature in your phone just push the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer our main number one final time is three four zero ninety five eighty five well for us it's communion sunday the first sunday of a new month i can't believe we're at we've finished another week here on the show That's how fast time goes. Uh, Reminder, programming wise, I'm not going to be here next week. Pastor Ken will be doing the program uh, for me here, but he'll be live. So call in with your questions. Wherever it is you go to church this Sunday, make sure that you are available to be used by the Lord to minister to others. Don't go looking to be ministered to, but be available to the Lord to be a ministering agent for others. And then in the process, you will be blessed. Well, we have no questions. There are no callers waiting yet. So let's go right to our questions. Here's the first one from Red. He says, please discuss how a Christian can deal with PTSD. Uh, Red, this is a, 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 a difficult problem. It's difficult uh, because what I'm going to say is going to contradict, I think, some of the counsel that you or others might have been struggling with or have received from um, the VA or, or from counselors. Um, but but I'm really, really impressed to, to, to share my heart with you on this. Um, we, we have a lot of people who have come back from combat at our church, and uh, many of them have dealt with uh, traumatic um, injuries of one sort or another. Uh, the PTSD is real. Uh, it's not the devil. The devil will use it, by the way, but it's not the devil. These things are real, and they take some uh, time and some patience and some understanding to deal with. But the one thing I want to say about PTSD is that it, it isn't necessarily a lifelong condition, It's not something that's too powerful for the Holy Spirit. God, who knows everything, knows exactly what you need. And as we draw near to the Lord, he will, by his very presence, help us to deal with these things. Another thing that I want people to hear is that we're not victims. Uh, One of the, the counseling issues that we've had over and over throughout the years, Red, is that uh, people will come in and they will say, "Well, you know I have PTSD, I can't work. I have PTSD and I, I can't really study the Bible. I have PTSD and and um, you know that's why I lose my temper sometimes. Uh, I think I think what our culture does with people who are injured and, and, and PTSD is a brain injury. I think what our culture does is gives too often gives people excuses to sin. And this is when we who are believers have to remember, who Jesus is and what he's done for us and then with a grateful heart then we make it our goal to please him in everything that we do now that doesn't mean that you won't have the PTSD episodes but what it does mean is that he will be stronger than those PTSD episodes and we don't have to give in now if you, if, if you, you, you give in occasionally this isn't a matter for doing guilt or feeling bad about yourself but it's one of those things where you can just resolve not to let PTSD compromise your witness not ever and, and Red I mentioned that simply because we have so many people who almost feel entitled to sin because of a, of a psychological condition and PTSD is just one of them but there, there are many others So the way you deal with PTSD, Red, is the same way we deal with every other issue in life. We cling to Jesus. We hold on to Jesus. And he helps us through them. He doesn't necessarily make them go away. But he helps us through those problems, through those difficult issues. And uh, and then we're always going to be aware that our witness has not been compromised. So I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a doctor. Uh, I think one of the things that we need to do is is um, be patient, but also approach these kinds of illnesses read with faith. Speaking of faith, I'm going to be uh, finishing Hebrews chapter 11 uh, tonight. I, I know people think, you're never going to get done with this chapter. We're going to finish it. This will be my 13th study in Hebrews chapter 11 um, and we're going to see the, the rewards of faith. And, and, you know, PTSD, just because we've diagnosed it now, doesn't mean that it hasn't been happening uh, to, to people throughout history. But dealing with it, faith is always going to be the key issue. Not wishing it away, not pretending it doesn't exist, but dealing with it by faith in who Jesus is not faith in our ability to deal with it but by faith so tonight we finish Hebrews chapter 11 Read. thank you for the question here is a question from Caleb from our email inbox uh, what do you think heaven will be like and do you think there will be any work to do and then he says thank you Caleb um, heaven is going to be greater than anything that we can possibly imagine beyond being compared you know just as God tells us in Ephesians he will do more than we can ask or imagine well heaven is going to be like that now we've got some ideas about heaven it's going to be uh, an extravagant place the presence of Jesus is the reason we call it heaven but the idea is that the things that are of value here won't be of value in heaven even the streets we're told are paved with gold not, not covered over, but I mean they're made of gold. Um, pearls, 12 pearls on each of the gates of the new heaven. Extravagance beyond anything that we can imagine. But it's also going to be a place of comfort and peace. Uh, it's not going to be boring. It's not going to be floating around on clouds watching angels play their little violins it's going to be a place where every day we explore the secrets of the universe and they will never run out. And the Bible says that when we get there we're going to be we're going to, we're going to be known as we know we're going to know we're we're going to be fully known. That means we're going to fully know all things and yet Jesus is going to unveil those mysteries to us over and over and over. Caleb on Wednesday night study we came across a passage uh, referring to the millennium which is not heaven ultimately but again we'll be ruling and reigning with Jesus. Um, and and it says we will all all our sons will be taught by the Lord, not about the Lord, but we'll be taught by the Lord. Now this doesn't mean Jesus is going to have this never-ending series of Bible studies. We think, oh boy, just church. It, it's going to be like the road to Emmaus Disciples, where our hearts burn within us as Jesus expounds the Scriptures and he see, reveals secrets that we never even imagined. You know, I think, and I say this without boasting at all, Caleb, but I think I'm a pretty good Bible teacher. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to find out I didn't know the half of it. I didn't know the tenth of it. Why? Because Jesus is going to open up every secret. He's going to show us things that we never even began to imagine were there. I know there's going to be no pain, no sorrow. I know there will be no evil. Nothing impure will ever enter into it. I can't wait to get there. I know, Caleb, that we'll have new heavenly bodies. Imagine our bodies only fit here for earth, but when we go into heaven, we're going to have a body that's equipped for heaven. I mean, I'm going to be flying out of town on Monday, and, uh, you know, they've got to pressurize the airplane before we can get on it and take off. Why? Because our bodies aren't fit for altitude let alone heaven and yet when we go to heaven we're going to have a body just like Jesus' body and we're going to be with the Lord forever. I think purposely, intentionally the Bible is vague about the details of heaven. It might be because we don't have the words in, in our human language to explain it but it might be just I do know for sure it'll be more than we can imagine that would regarding the work to do yeah there's going to be work to do work is a good thing I have no idea what kind of work when I said earlier that we're going to rule and reign with Jesus I don't know what that looks like the Bible doesn't tell us I know we're going to serve I know we're going to have ministries I know we're going to have assignments and we're going to be faithful we know that some of those assignments are going to be determined by our faithfulness here on earth So who knows what it's going to be like, what kind of work it is. But we are going to be with Jesus, never idle, never bored, work that's more fulfilling and complete than we can begin to describe. And yet, yeah, there will be work to do. So, Caleb, I wish I could tell you more, but I can say just this, Jesus. One thing I can ask you to do, uh, Caleb, is read... Revelation chapter 1 beginning in verse 10 and read the description down to verse 18 of Jesus because in heaven it's going to be about Jesus. Thanks Caleb. Let's go to our first call. Paul from San Antonio on line 1. Paul thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Okay what I wanted to ask was what happened uh, after Noah's ark drive and he was you know how was uh, how was uh, multiplying happen with just the family
3: okay I can I can do that it it um, it happened the same way it happened uh, with um, Adam and Eve uh, at the beginning before the fall uh, Adam and Eve would be were told to be fruitful and multiply, and of course, there were no uh, uh, genetic defects, there was nothing uh, impure and and Very shortly after the fall, the same thing was true and uh, it would have meant necessarily that brothers and sisters initially and then cousins and then second cousins and third cousins in in the case of of Noah, Paul, we all are descendants of Noah. Uh, were descendants of Adam for sure but we're all descendants of Noah and his family uh, and, and remember there were, were, there were married uh, sons uh, there, uh, Noah was, was old but still could have children he, the, the people lived a very long time then and they would have children and over and over and over through the course of time now people look at that and they say well how could that be for multiplying the whole world well first of all there's big gaps in the story um you know the, the things that we read one chapter following another chapter doesn't mean that those things happen one right after the other, so there are gaps historically in in the in the narrative uh but um they would have had children now um um I know a guy who who has uh twenty three grandchildren um and 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 now getting ready of some great grandchildren. And uh, you think, well, well, that happened, and and he's going to live to be 70, 80, 85 years old? Um, Noah lived hundreds and hundreds of years. And you can imagine, in a world that certainly is near pristine compared to the world that we live in, uh, they would have simply... um, kept multiplying and kept multiplying. If you read all the way through chapters ten and eleven, Paul, what you find out is that there's so many people and they were conspiring against God uh, to, to do evil and build a tower above the heavens. What they were what they were truly trying to do is build uh, a tower that would, would would put them above the judgment of God. And God had to confuse their language, and and they spread apart. If you could understand one another, you went to different places. And then they, too, would multiply, and that's when the gene pool would begin to, to narrow down, and people would start looking more like one another instead of looking like the original parents. But Paul, um, we are all descendants of Noah. And they simply would have kept having children and children and seven, eight, nine hundred years goes by. And you can imagine how fruitful uh, they would have been and how the earth would have multiplied. Good question, Paul. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Russell. Uh, Pastor on as a husband, what can I do to make sure my wife knows her value to God and to me? Russell, what a great question. Um, But the way you can do it is to love her unconditionally, uh, to love her, to be patient with her. You can look at the list of uh, fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22. Um, uh, when you look at those fruits, then then if you treat your wife that way, if you honor her uh, and make her a partner, uh, she will know her value both to God and to you. Uh, but remember, and I say this a lot, Russell, a husband's job as the spiritual head of the household is to represent Jesus. And that means it's our job to make our wives feel like the most loved, most beautiful, most precious woman on the face of the earth. And you do that primarily, Russell, by falling in love with Jesus yourself. If you're in love with Jesus, if you love him more than you love her, she's going to be the beneficiary of that love. If she feels love, she's going to love you back. It's that simple if you submit to her as a partner and yet there's still order in your home she submits to you as a husband you'll be able to demonstrate that she knows her value to God and to you if you sit down with her Russell and wash her in the water of the word read the Bible to her talk about it with her make sure uh, your job Paul always says this is my hardest job uh, speaking about me Pastor Ron she says your hardest job is you've got to present me holy and blameless before the Lord so we do that by talking about the word We, we do that by praying together and your wife will know she's loved you know Russell the reason I like the question you ask so much is because far 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 too many of us tell our wives with our mouths that we love them But they don't really benefit from that love. They don't feel love. They don't feel special. They don't feel valuable. And that's our job. Remember, your wife is a reflection of your leadership. She's a reflection of your godliness. And as you become more and more like Jesus, then she too will become more and more like Jesus. To your wife more than anybody else. Remember, she knows everything about you. She sees all the good. She sees the bad. But to your wife, more than any other human, you ought to be able to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And if you're doing that, she'll follow you. Believe me, the Holy Spirit will do his job and she will know how valuable she is to God and she will appreciate and, and experience how valuable she is to you. Russell, this is the most important job that any husband has. And too often as husbands, you know, I'll get the question, well, why can't my wife submit to me? Um, It's because she's not being sacrificed for. Put her needs ahead of your own. I actually, when I write vows for weddings, and probably 90% of the time I ask people if they want to write their own vows or they don't want want to use mine, and they'll say, no, just use yours. And one of the things that uh, I put in there is that... um, the husband will put her needs ahead of his own needs. And if you do that, believe me, Russell, she will know. One other thing that I would suggest, Russell, I don't know um, where you go to church, but wherever it is that you go, you and your wife ought to find a way that you can serve together. Imagine that you're reading together, you're praying together, you go to church, you're serving together. How can your hearts not be knit together in a glorious way and um, believe me she will know she's loved and she will know her value one final comment on this Russell because this is something that we say Paula in particular says to women all the time women who don't really get it don't understand because they don't know their value to God and we men are the reason why they don't know their value to God and that makes it difficult because it's our job as men to make sure they know their value and it means we're simply not doing the job so Russell because you asked the question I know where your heart is let me ask you one other thing and this is a hard one one of these days when you're reading the word to your wife or she's reading it to you ask her how you're doing Tell her how much you love her. Tell her that you want to know her value to you and to God. And then just ask her how you're doing and be ready to get the answer because she'll tell you the truth. What a great opportunity that is for the Holy Spirit to work in your home and in your hearts. Thanks for the question, Russell. Thank you. Uh, we're inside five minutes for the first half hour of the program. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free 877-630-KSLR for your calls. Here's an anonymous question. He says, where do you stand on Christians using birth control? Anonymous? I don't stand on that at all. <laughs> it's none of my business. There's certainly no biblical prohibition against it. Um, I don't know your background. We know for Ever The Catholic Church was opposing birth control. Um, but um, there's nothing scripturally that would indicate that it's right or wrong. This is a matter of conscience. Romans 14, 23 says anything not of faith is sin. So this is something that you and your wife or you and your husband, you're anonymous, so I don't know which one you are but this is something you should settle between you in prayer and being led by the will of God so if you want to use birth control um, then please go ahead and use it Uh, don't use the kind of birth control that is abortive in nature Uh, just use birth control and uh, God is not displeased with you he's not angry with you and it's not a lack of faith let me say one other thing about this because I think this is uh, um, something that's really important for us as as, uh, Christians living in the 21st century Uh, I think in this matter of birth control too many of us make our own plans without consulting God and what I would want everyone here at Calvary Chapel to do instead of saying, well, we're not going to have kids for, for five years, or we're going to wait for ten years, or however long it takes. Uh, we're, we're just not going to have kids right away. Um, what I would ask you to do is pray and see first if that's God's will. I mean, we have very strong opinions, we have feelings. When, when, when I have people say to me, well, we want to get to know each other first, and, and, and that's okay, but what does God want? And I think this is true, not just for issues like birth control. I think it's true for for everything. God, here's what I want. And Paul says, with thanksgiving, we can make our requests known to God. That is, with grateful hearts. But this is something that we ought to say, Lord, what do you want? And I always get thrilled when I'm doing premarriage counseling and I ask somebody, "Um, so do you plan on having children? I want to see where she's coming from, where he's coming from. And then based on the answer, when they say, well, you know what? We're going to pray and seek the Lord on it. I know that's a marriage that's on solid ground. When we make decisions based on what we want, we often miss the will of God. By the way, Anonymous, I say the same thing to older couples who remarry or uh, want to think about kids again. I just think, well, you know, what does God want? believe me, you don't want to miss out on the blessing that God has for you. So ask him what he wants and let his will instead of your will be done. So that's where we stand on Christians using birth control, Anonymous. Uh, It's up to you, between you, your spouse, and Jesus. I hope that helps. We're coming to the end of the first half of our program. You've been listening to The Word to Send Them for Life. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Or toll free 877-630-KSLR. 30 minutes left in the week. We'd love your live calls. You're listening to The Word to Send Them for Life. We will be back on the other side of the break. We'll see you in two minutes.
1: the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
3: welcome back we are in our final 30 minutes of the week 340-9585 albert says i notice you talk a lot about drinking drinking is legal i don't see why you think it's wrong Albert, uh two things. One, I talk about drinking a lot because as a pastor for twenty four and a half years, uh I I cannot adequately communicate the pain that I've seen caused by drinking. It's that simple. I've had grown men stand in front of me and say that they're free to drink and they want to do it, and, and they can stop anytime they want, and they'll say, well, okay, why don't you stop for a week? Stop for two weeks, just to prove you can do it. Well, I could, but I don't want to. And, and, and see, the, the, the reality is they're denying, they're enslaved by, their, by alcohol. So I've seen so much pain. I've watched ministries crumble. I've watched lives that were once fruitful destroyed. And all because of drinking. You now you're right, it is legal. And when you say it's wrong, it's only sinful if you need it. If you can't relax without it, then you're enslaved by it. It's wrong if you get drunk. And and and, and being buzzed is drunk. We hear that on the driving commercials all the time. It's wrong if you abuse it like anything else. It's a tool. But but I wish, this is just Pastor Ron talking, I wish the Bible said that drinking was a sin. Again, because of all the pain. But it doesn't. It says that you can drink in moderation. Being drunk, being high, being buzzed is a sin. Um, but the fact that it's legal doesn't mean it's good for you. Paul said, the fact that something is legal to do or something that I'm free to do, if it's not beneficial, why would I do it? and, and Albert, there simply isn't a single virtue in drinking. There isn't a single virtue that comes from drinking. And uh, we want to deny that we're and bondage to it we want to deny that we're drunk we want to convince ourselves that it's okay we can handle it and i'm just telling you as a pastor i've seen no one who can handle it anybody who drinks every day is in sin anybody who drinks and i'm going to deal with you you're you're a man albert i don't know if you are married or have children anybody who drinks when you have a wife at home who says, please don't, is in sin. Why? Husbands are to love your wives way Christ of the church, giving yourselves up for her. That's putting her needs ahead of your own. Any man who drinks with children in the home is compromising his witness. I don't know how people rationalize those things away. But anything you do every day has control over you and anything that has control of you that, that isn't named Jesus Christ it becomes almost idolatry so I will continue Albert to talk about drinking a lot uh, and people will continue not listening to what I have to say so I hope that answers your question Three four zero ninety five eighty five. you know I uh I was sharing um, yesterday, I don't know if on the program or not, but as a pastor, one of the hardest things is when people don't do what you tell them to do. They they come, their lives are in a mess, they, they want the answers, you know the answers, you give them the answers, and they don't do what you tell them to do. It is a heart-crushing thing that we who are pastors deal with all the time here is a question from Jesus he says what's the best way for me as a new Christian to influence my family and friends Jesus I love the fact that you put in there that you're a new Christian God bless you and congratulations the best way to influence your family and friends is to let your light so shine before men that they can see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven that's what Jesus tells us to do in the Gospel of Matthew what we need to do is Be changed. Let them see the change. Now, we're going to want, and I'm sure, Jesus, you want to tell your family about Jesus. But if you're not changed, why would they be interested in your Jesus? But if you meet Jesus and you start changing and radically things are different, you're different. Well, they're going to be curious. They're going to want to know what the cause of the change is. And that's when you get the opportunities to share Jesus with your family It's when you can stand there and feel like God is standing right there beside you and he's so proud of you. Paul writes to Philemon, I pray that you'll be active in sharing your faith so that you'll have a full understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. So um, just the new you, putting away the old stuff you used to do, If you used to be angry, not being angry anymore, but being filled with joy. If you used to hold on to unforgiveness, and now you're willing to forgive. If you used to speak with foul language, and now there's none of that language coming from your lips. If you just used to be a jerk, you know, my nickname used to be Ron the Jerk. But I'm not the jerk part of it anymore. And God made that change. And when you change who you are, when Jesus has his way in your heart, believe me, your family members and friends are going to notice and they're going to want to know why. Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to accept your Jesus. But here's what I can promise you it means. It means that when you tell them Jesus and they reject him, the Holy Spirit is going to keep knocking on their door, the door of their heart, and saying, hey, he told you the answer. He told you the answer. And and people get saved because of the changes they see in other people. Very important, and that's the best way for you to do it. There's nothing quite like a brand new believer who's so full of Jesus and, and just wants to talk about the Lord all the time. And that will offend some people, but, but I promise you the Holy Spirit will use that same thing that offended them to turn their hearts when they're in a time of need or when they're in a time of difficulty. So Jesus, that's the best way for you to do it, I think. Chuck, this is a heavy question. Chuck says, how would you answer someone who was sexually abused as a child who won't believe in God because God didn't stop the abuse? Oh, Chuck, these are hard questions. I I don't know whether you're talking about yourself or somebody in your family. But this is something that we get so often. Um, Well, well, if God loves me, why didn't he stop the abuser? If God loves me, why did he let these things happen? Um, Where was God when this was happening to him? I've had all of those questions repeatedly. And Chuck, the answer is God was... Where he always has been since his ascension to heaven. He's at the right hand of God. Not only is he at the right hand of God, but he's making intercession for you. He is a living, breathing intercession, statement of intercession on your behalf. He still bears the wounds of the punishment he took in your place. God didn't stop even his own son's abuse and he didn't do it because it pleased God to crush his son for you and for me I always answer that God Jesus is a man acquainted with sorrows and grief he knows the pain you're in and while he can't make it unhappen he gets you and you can cry out to him I think one of the things that we have a hard time with in this world, Chuck, is when something bad happens to us, we kind of yell at God, why did you let this happen? But, but we don't yell at God when bad stuff happens to other people. Bad things happen to all of us. That's just part of There's evil here in this world. But Jesus loved you so much that He wants to come now alongside you And he wants to hold your heart in his hands. He wants to take away those old memories of pain and abuse and replace them with brand new memories every day of how sweet the fellowship with Jesus is. So keep telling them about Jesus. Keep reminding them that he understands, he gets it. Tell them that his heart broke as these horrible things happened. But the reality is it's not God's purpose to keep bad things from happening to us. God's purpose is to put us in his arms when bad things do happen, and they will to all of us. So the sexual abuse that happened as a child, God hates it, broke his heart, And only he can heal that heart now. So Chuck, if it's you, give him a chance to heal your heart. If it's somebody you know, challenge them to give Jesus a chance to heal their heart as well. We are not victims, we're victors in Christ. And that's not as popular a concept as it ought to be in this culture. So, Chuck, I hope that at least makes a little sense to you. Here is a question from Patrick. He says, Pastor Ron, will you please discuss Matthew nineteen seventeen in view of us being saved by grace? Okay, let me look at Matthew 19, 17 first. It says I gotta get to it. Oh, it's a story I just told uh, about the rich young ruler. I'm in Luke, but the rich young ruler says to Jesus, "Why?" Uh, our, our, this is a good good teacher. This is the verse before. What must I do to obtain eternal life? Then Jesus says, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Um, one of the things that we have to, to understand about this passage um and I, I think, Patrick, a lot of us forget that Jesus was really an Old Testament figure. Uh, just like John the Baptist, though he appears in the New Testament, uh, he was an Old Testament prophet. Jesus' ministry was to fulfill the law perfectly, um, not to judge the world, but, but that through him the world might be saved, and for that he had to live a perfect sinless life. So when Jesus is talking to this rich young ruler and he comes to him and says, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus knows the condition of his heart. He's saying, look, if you want to go to heaven without believing in me, without surrendering everything to me, this is how good you have to be. you got to be perfect. got to keep the commandments. And we know that the rich young ruler, uh, when Jesus gave him the second tablet of, of the commandments, the horizontal ones, man dealing with man, he said, oh, great, all these I've done since my birth. But he then said, but what do I still lack? He knew he was still missing something, that, that emptiness that drove him to ask Jesus the question. When Jesus told him what to do, and he goes, okay, I've done that. And yet he still had that emptiness inside. That was Jesus telling him that you don't understand. And the reason Jesus told him to keep the commandments is because it is the commandments that point us out as being guilty. Now think about this for a moment, Patrick. Jesus told him with the the horizontal tablet of commandments, man dealing with man, just keep it. He said, I did it. When Jesus went right for the heart, well, then here's what you lack. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and follow me. Jesus was letting him know you may think and we know the rich young ruler didn't keep all those commandments but Jesus was putting his finger on his heart and saying you're guilty of violating the vertical commandments love the Lord your God with all of your heart thou shalt have no other gods before me this rich man had a lot But his possessions possessed him. He was guilty of greed. He was guilty of coveting. He was guilty of having an earthly idol not a statue or something that he was bowing down before. But Jesus said, it's your money that's bothering you. And the rich young ruler had a decision to make at that moment. And when he made it, the Bible says he walked away sad because he had great wealth. Uh, I, I said in the Bible study, that I did just this past Sunday, that the rich young ruler is, in my view, the only person that came to Jesus of his own free will and left that encounter in worse condition than when he got there. He walked away very sad. Even though he knew Jesus was God, he knew he was the Christ, he knew he was missing something, there has to be more, And when Jesus said, here's the price, give everything away. I want you to be free from money, from the control of money. Give it away. And then follow me. And we know that he didn't do it. So Patrick, there's no discordance between grace and law. Jesus fulfilled the law so that he could give us grace. Let's go to Enrique on line one in San Antonio. Enrique, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hello, Pastor. How you doing?
3: Hi, Enrique. How are you?
2: I'm doing good. Um, just uh, I want to bring up an issue at home. Uh, I have an older person living with me, older than me. Um, I offered up my home to this person so they could uh, get back on their feet. It was only supposed to be for four months. It's been a year, but I also just and I, I pretty much laid it all out the Lord to them and they're still not not living. They're not, they don't have a walk that I would like, not that I would like, but uh, that they should. And then with them living in my home, they're my girls are seeing this walk that isn't a very fruitful walk. It's not, actually, it's not a walk at all. And the older person that's in my home, anytime we do Bible study, uh, we'll go to their room and lock the door and, and just not participate. Even though I invite, always invite in the church, um, I just want to protect my ministry at home. So, how should I approach this person saying, you know, I don't know, I'm loving her.
3: Okay, and Ricky, your phone is breaking up, so why don't you listen to my answer on the radio, but I got the gist of the question. Thank you very much for calling. Um, and Ricky, the, the way that you deal with this is the way you would deal with anybody else living in your home. This is Jesus' house. We have rules here. If you're living in our house, um, we're helping you get back on your feet, then you do it on our terms Uh, in our terms are if you live here you're going to go to church if you live here you're going to participate in family bible studies Uh, you're going to live the same kind of guidelines and rules that, that you would live if you were my son or my daughter this is the way it's going to be and if they are unwilling to do those things then it's time to say goodbye I think sometimes in Reiki we we, we try to help people and we end up enabling people. And so the thing that you would do in a case like this is say, look, you were here, going to be here for just a few months and now it's been a year. You don't want to participate in any of the stuff that the family is doing with Christ. So it is now time for you to leave. I will give you a week. And be firm, be loving, uh, give this person the opportunity to repent if, if if it's okay with you. I mean, this is something that you also need to, to put into prayer. But if anybody who's going to be in your house, you can't make them believe but you can make them abide by the rules. And if they don't want to do that it's simply time to say goodbye. Again, you want to protect not only your witness as the head of the house uh, but you certainly want to protect uh, your children, you want to protect your wife. and uh, the only way you can do that is to make sure that your house is a consistent house of a house filled with joy, a home where Jesus is in charge. And the only way you can do that is to sort of lay down the law. If they don't want to do it, tell them fine, go find better rent, go find cheaper rent. We did that with our kids, Enrique, our grown kids. And you know what? They knew how serious we were about Jesus as a result. When Hebrews says, after the Hall of Fame of Faith chapter, Hebrews 12 opens, commanding us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. In other words, make your walk pristine And just look at him and tell him, You know, you're you're hindering my ministry here at home. And I love you. We've helped you. But Jesus comes first, and then my family. Tell him goodbye. You've done all that you can. I'll be praying for you, man. Thank you very, very much. You know, I don't know why it seems to so many of us. Like, well, that would be mean. Where are we going to, where are they going to go? We're just putting them on the street. When we help people and they demonstrate they don't want help, then the best thing we can do is turn them over. So they have to deal with Jesus. If we make it too easy for them to stay locked up in a room, by the way, one other thing, anybody that locks their door in your house, ooh, that would never happen in my house, for sure. So thanks, Enrique, I hope that helps. Here is a question from, just was called in. Let me see. Um, anonymous question, when people take their life, do they go to heaven? Please explain. Um They go to heaven, anonymous, if they're a born-again Christian. Remember, the blood of Jesus Christ wipes away all sin, past, present, and future. So if somebody takes their life and they're a born-again believer, um, they lost the battle, but they'll end up in heaven. Now, that doesn't make it uh, uh, any less serious of a sin. It's, it's a very, very dire sin at the same time, Jesus' blood covers it. And the truth is that in this world that we live in, there are people who suffer from depression. There are people that, uh, that struggle with, with, with back-breaking problems. And sometimes the enemy wins. Uh, just this week, I had a, a similar question, anonymous, uh, but it was about three pastors who took their lives. And when they take their lives, um, it hurts. It's selfish. It hurts. Um, but, but I'm confident those pastors are all in heaven, not because they're pastors, but because they were born-again believers. So that's the first thing you wanted me to explain. The second you wanted me to explain, Proverbs 16:9. a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. And then he says, uh, the question is, do I have the freedom to make decisions? Um, no Christian has the freedom to make decisions. Um, the, the idea here in the negative, a man's heart plans his way. Um, that that's, that's Solomon's wisdom. And what he's saying is, look, we make our plans, but our plans mean nothing because it's the Lord who actually directs our steps. So when you make decisions outside of the will of God, God is going to make those decisions difficult. He will reroute you. He will discipline you he will feel like a burden of weight upon you because he wants you to take the right path and we simply don't have the freedom to make decisions even jesus when praying to to have the cup of crucifixion removed from him at the end of his prayer three times he prayed and the lord said nevertheless thy will not my will be done and the Father say so the idea is we can plan and as we plan the Lord simply sort of giggles because he has a plan already there for you so no you do not have the freedom to make decisions we're not our own we're bought with a price Paul writes so I hope that makes sense to you hey thanks for a great week on the phone thanks for the questions in the call you've been listening to the word to stand on for life um Communion Sunday here. I hope it is at your church as well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Have a wonderful week serving Jesus. Pastor Ken next week. See you then. Bye-bye.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at four. And Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.